Hi, Anushka here. In this series, I'd really like to take the opportunity to tell you a little bit about The Brilliant Breakfast, an initiative that I set up two years ago to help the Prince's Trust support disadvantaged young women. It really can be as simple as putting the kettle on, inviting a few friends round, or hosting a breakfast for the team at work and asking everyone to give what they can to help change a girl's life. So that's The Brilliant Breakfast, starting October the 10th this year. And for more details, visit thebrilliantbreakfast.co.uk. Thank you. I'm Anushka Dukas, and welcome back to My Life in Seven Charms. For me, there are so few things which can evoke a memory like a tiny, detailed charm. In this new series, I'll be meeting seven extraordinary women and hearing their stories through this very special 18-karat gold biography. Today's guest on My Life in Seven Charms is a model, writer, an activist and an entrepreneur. Her stellar career and her profile was kick-started by a brilliantly defiant letter she posted on Facebook, having been fired by the first agency who signed her. Since then, as well as writing novels and creating her own skincare brand, she has become a catalyst for women celebrating their bodies, embracing their curves and loving the skin they're in. She is a fabulous example of doing so. I'm so delighted to welcome Charlie Howard to my life in Seven Charms. Oh, thank you. Hello. Hello. Oh, hello. So nice to so nice to see you, and um, nice to be sitting in front of this cosy fire. Exactly, it's nice and warm outside from the cold. Very yeah. sweet, and I've yeah. just been given this piece of paper with all the charm illustrations on it, and it's so cute. Oh. Yeah, I love it. But it's always interesting to know how how people will react, or if you, in your head, when you describe each charm whether you visualise them very differently. It's just better. It's just so sweet. And the detail as well, that's what I love about them. Like the little book with the with my, with my the word splash on it, that's the title, and the anchor and everything. I mean, it's just so sweet. Oh, oh I love it. Well, why don't we um, start with Charm 1? Yeah. We'll start yeah. with Charm 1. So Charm 1 um, is an anchor. I've seen this as kind of literally a miniature anchor in yellow gold, with a rope kind of wrapped around the, the long part. I engraved it um, because I know that this is to represent your father. So I put just dad on it or, or we could put his name. So Charlie, tell me about this anchor. Yeah, so this is my first charm because I grew up in a naval household. So my dad was in the Navy and he's also like a really big inspiration of mine um, on a personal level just because he was the fastest person to have ever gone from a sailor to a naval captain. So it's quite amazing, actually. And um, my dad's a really, really hard worker. And I think he's instilled that kind of work ethic into me as well. Um, and he gets why I love working so much, um, unlike other people, you know, I think you're either that way inclined or you're not. And my dad is very much one of those people. So yeah, the, the naval thing is obviously a really big part of my life. We moved around all the time. Um, that bit I found particularly difficult. So I have a bit of a love hate relationship with my dad's job, um, but it also really shaped me. My dad's job shaped me because it gave me that independence really and I'm an incredibly independent person probably sometimes a bit more than I should be but I think moving around so much and having to adjust so much and and be thrown into all these different situations um has really shaped who I am 
That's so interesting. But where, just give us an example of where you were living when, when you were little. Where, where were you moving to? Um, we moved a lot to Germany back and forth. So we lived yeah. in a place called Schleswig-Holstein, which is kind of on the Danish border. Um, Hamburg, which was honestly my favourite place to have ever lived. I absolutely loved Hamburg because it's just so free and modern, actually, modern thinking. Um, Berlin. Um, we lived in Belgium for a short time. We lived in various parts of England, London, um, oh, Wales. So yeah, so like a bunch of different places. But like I said, I did have a bit of a struggle. I did struggle with that a bit because... It's very difficult to connect with a place and to make friends because yeah. you know that you're going to be moving within yeah. a, within two yeah. years. So that's always been a bit of a problem for me. So did you were you uh, educated at home or or in local schools? Were you at boarding school? Or? Well, actually, so for the first few years of my life, I, I, I say I'm quite lucky in a way because I've literally done every single version of schooling that you can. I've been to <laughs> <laughs> I've been to comprehensive schools. I've been to private schools. I've been to public schools. I've been to boarding school. I've gone to American schools. I've done all these different kinds of schools, and um, again, you know, I see that actually a bit of bit of a blessing because it means I can socialize with pretty yeah, much everyone you so much yeah and it definitely teaches you so much but it also puts you in a bit of a weird bracket in the sense of sometimes you feel like you fit in places better than others and um, where did you feel at school where did you kind of feel you fitted in best um, well, I went to an international school in Hamburg, and that was so much fun. It was just every different culture, religion, colour, you know, everything. And, I mean, there weren't really any rules at that school, and I was always in trouble. But I think that I <laughs> that's probably why I enjoyed it so much. But, um, yeah, I'd say that one, really. I think that was the best one, definitely. And you said you went to boarding school. Was that a good – did you enjoy that? No, not at all. I – wanted to be free and I wanted to see the world and I felt incredibly trapped there. I'm sure we'll come on to this, but I, I, did you know kind of at an early age at school that you wanted to be a model? Yes and no. I mean, I've kind of got a funny story. So, so I remember the first time I, I knew that fashion was something I wanted to get into and that started at school because we had this thing called the birthday sack which was uh, the night before your birthday they'd come around with a pillowcase and they everyone would put in random tap basically that they didn't want right. put it into this birthday sack and then they'd come around and give it to you and you'd be like great thanks for the used pen you know that kind of thing <laughs> and um, someone had put in this um really ripped old version of l and it had elvis's granddaughter on the front riley co i think that's co i don't know how to say it and um i kind of picked it up and i looked at it and i thought oh my god like what is this and i was only about probably 13 or 14 and i remember thinking wow this is the world i want to get into but it seemed so glamorous and so far removed from from where i was and and who i was so that's when i really first started thinking about hmm, modeling would be fun but i was quite a bit plump at the time and a bit you know I was so much taller than everyone else and and then actually we had a careers day at school and there was a girl a woman that came in sorry not a girl a woman that came in who was a model and she said oh you know you should really try it and I thought you know I was really embarrassed I was like really because in my head it was a it was a dream you know it's not something that people did and I remember going to my dad going, oh, my God, you know, this past pupil said I should be a model. And my dad was like, you are not becoming a model. I've not spent this much money on your education for you to do that. You know, so it, it turned to a massive row and and I did it anyway. But What did but your yeah. mum think? If I'm being honest, they weren't that supportive in the beginning because, again, I think they wanted me to have things they hadn't. You know, both my parents had left school at 16 and I think that they wanted me to 
to just be the first person to go to university, be the first person to actually, you know, have an education properly and do things properly, which I completely understand. And now that I look back, I wish that I'd also gone to university properly, but I didn't. But you could have. I could I mean, have done. Oh, yeah. I did. I went for a couple of years, but yeah. I was essentially asked to leave because I was so bad at it. Well, so, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I want. I really wanted to follow my dreams. But of course, you know, modelling, acting, singing, all these different things, they're very, very few people make it. So as someone who's a bit older, I completely understand why my parents wouldn't want me to do that and why they'd want me to follow a traditional path. Yeah. But I was very stubborn in my ways. And I was going to make it happen... Whatever they Whatever said. Whatever they said, yeah. Your second charm, um, I love this idea. The second charm is a little tiny teacup. Um, mm-hmm. And you'd said, you know, maybe a Union Jack type teacup. But yeah. I thought, well, let's, why don't we put a Union Jack on the bottom? So you can see I've drawn this. Mm. Literally as a three-dimensional teacup and saucer. Oh, I love that one. It's so English, isn't it? Tea it's cup so and English. But I didn't really... Yeah, because I saw the, um, the the Union Jack underneath and I thought maybe that was a separate charm. But that's the base no, of the cup. No, that's the base of the, the cup. The teacup. Oh, the, that's so cute. I yeah. love that. It's so funny because um, actually I... For my whole life, I've collected miniature cups and saucers. I mean, oh. really miniature, like like this. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, it was a real it was a real pleasure to draw this and kind of oh. think about this. It's so, as I say, it's it's three dimensional. It is in two parts, but attached by one jump ring, so that the cup and saucer are not soldered together. They're two separate things. And I I love yellow gold, so I've drawn the cup in yellow gold polished and the saucer you can see also in yellow gold and on the base um is the union jack with made of kind of blue um blue sapphires and rubies and tiny little diamonds for the for the white part of the oh, union that's jack so it'll be it. t- it's going to be quite it'll be quite a challenge but i think it would be gorgeous charm but i mean teacup i'm fascinated so like I said, I spoke to you about a union flag in the beginning. I said, I like something with, I, I'm, I love being British most of the time. <laughs> I love fish and chips, roast dinners, tea. Obviously I drink so much tea a day. And um, London, uh, my, my, my dad moved to London when I was about 14, I think. And it was the first time, again, going back to what I said about wanting to feel free and stuff. It was the first place where I felt free. And the first place that I felt like was home. That was where my home was. Because, you know, again, like I was saying, I didn't feel like I had home because every one year two years three years we'd move and by this point I mean I'd already lost count of the amount of houses we'd lived in and I think I've lived in over 30 40 places my my entire life yeah I mean and you're 30 and I'm 30 yeah that's unbelievable yeah um, that's very hard to imagine that actually it's very hard and it's very hard to uproot and pack and you don't you genuinely don't feel like you settle in but London is my home that's where I consider home it's the place where I've lived the longest now technically um and it will always be home and um I actually found out recently through a um ancestry DNA that uh, most of my family are from there they're from the east end so yeah I I absolutely love London and like I said this was the first place where 
I felt free but it was also the first place where at school or during weekends or whenever I come and see my dad or stay with my dad that I started getting scouted as a model so um, obviously Topshop doesn't exist anymore but outside Topshop there'd be tons of model scouts they'd come to you inside there or I'd be in Camden or or wherever and people would approach me and say we'd love you to be a model but it was also the place where you know my dreams felt like they were starting to come true and then they'd get pulled pulled away from me because people would say oh but you know once you get down to this size then we'll sign you then we'll sign you then we'll sign you so so so, so hold on a minute. I'm fascinated so at the time did you were you bigger than other models but you were scouted just 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 try and try and explain to me yeah. a bit, bit about that landscape so this would have been 16 maybe yeah 16 years ago now yeah. I guess um yeah. where modeling was a complete and fashion was a completely different time you know people were obsessed with size zero if you remember yeah. everywhere you looked it was size zero um you know that you'd open up a tabloid magazine and it would give you literal recipes of how to emulate these celebrities and I became really fixated on that because you know in order to be a model or in order to be accepted you had to be thin and if you want to be thin only you can do that there's no one else who can do yeah. that and I was never by this point, I was probably about a size 8 to 10, so not big. No. But in modelling sizes, that was big. Right. And um, I don't know, it was weird because I, I, I looked at modelling and I looked at celebrities and all these people I, I really wanted to be who were, you know, clubbing and had all these really handsome boyfriends and tons of money and designer stuff. And I, I thought, well, you know, the only way I'm going to achieve that is if I become a model and becoming thin. So it was this kind of, you know, vicious cycle, really, that you're going into. Um, so, yeah, anyway, so I, I would be scouted, but it was always a case of when you get down to these certain measurements, then we'll sign you. God. So it's difficult. And so so for you at that point, because you were, you were, yeah, well, you were, what, 16? 14, 15, 14, yeah. yeah, 15 probably. And... Did you think, okay, well, you obviously thought, yes, I'm going to get down to this size. Um, and at, was it at that point where you you started to kind of, I guess, abuse your body in terms of what yeah. one has to do to get to that size? Yeah, 100%. So I developed bulimia, I think, when I was about 14, maybe 13. Um, and it started off with someone in my family had made a comment about the fact that I put on put on a lot of weight and the reason why I put on a lot of weight is because I was at boarding school and I was really miserable so I'd go to the school tuck shop and just eat 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 and um I just felt really lonely I, I can't explain it it was it wasn't because I wasn't around people it was just because I felt this sense of loneliness and it's very difficult even for me now to explain this but I just didn't feel like I belonged I think so in order to to feel something I just used to eat and as a teen and I wasn't exercising and the weight just kept going on and on and on so someone in my family said you know Charlotte's put on a lot of weight you know why why is that and um so I started cutting out food and the weight started coming off and then when I started to lose weight a bit more um the model scouts came and then it was a case of well you know like I said you know once you lose some more weight, then we'll sign you. So then I, I deliberately cut out more. And then I discovered bulimia. And I think bulimia, I for years and years and years, I did not see it as bulimia. I just saw it as a way of getting rid of stress and anxiety. And I think, and of course, it comes back again. 
you know, your brain tricks you because you think, oh, I feel really relieved right now because I've got rid of everything out of my body. And then the stresses come back and the anxieties come back. And if someone said a mean comment or if you feel homesick or whatever, these feelings all come back. And then you um, do it again, do it again. And it just becomes this cycle, really. This might be a really kind of stupid question, but, but at that point... Did you enjoy the eating bit? Well, this is what's really weird is that, no, not really, because it becomes a um, a case of you're just eating and shoving things in your mouth until you feel like you could burst. You just eat and eat yeah. and eat and eat, and then you throw it all up. And in secret, all, in of, secret. all of those things. Yeah. Eat, eat, in yeah, secret, yeah, yeah. so you wouldn't eat in front of anybody. Yes. Again, you know, it was like, why am I doing this? But at the same time, I just felt like I needed to do it. I can't explain it. Um and this is something that, that I've dealt with for a long time. And I haven't made myself sick in six years now. It will be six years, I think. And um, it's very, very difficult to crack that because your brain associates that purging with stress relief. Just before we move on, what um, for, for girls now, girls or, you know, men, I know that there are lots of men who have bulimia mm-hmm. issues and I mean more so than, than I think we've ever been aware of before yeah. or perhaps we, perhaps it's always been there but no one's been aware of it. Yeah. What would be your advice for people out there who might be suffering from something, some, something similar? Yeah, I guess um, it's important to realise it's an addiction and people don't view it as an addiction but it is because you're getting addicted to food and then you're addicted to throwing up and you're addicted to being thin or, or getting rid of the stress or whatever it is that you want to get rid of. So it's an addiction. So once you view it as that and you realise that you want to get help, that's the most important thing. And also, I think it's really important to remember that life doesn't have to be miserable. You know, food is a really wonderful thing. And I consider myself a foodie now. Like, I love trying new foods. For a long time, food was my biggest fear my biggest um enemy really and it doesn't have to be you know you you only have one life and one of my friends sadly died last year at at 30 from cancer and it just really puts a lot of things into perspective because you realize that life really is too short and you never know when it will end so just make the most of it you know don't live in fear did you share uh, did you kind of talk to any of your friends or your parents or your, no. anybody about it? No, not at all. That was honestly, part of it. And that is part of it. It's like, it's very embarrassing and it's very shameful and you think, God, everyone's going to laugh at me and you already don't like yourself so you don't want people to already think you're more of a freak than how you feel, if that makes sense. Yeah. But when you say um, you didn't like yourself, you just didn't like the way your body looked? No, it- I, I hated everything about myself. I hated, like, the way I looked. I hated the way my body looked. I hated my cellulite. I hated um, the situation I was in, you know, whether it was the boyfriend I was seeing or the school I was at or whatever, because I had it for over 10 years. Um, I felt very lonely. I didn't feel like I had many friends. And, it, you know, eating disorders, they really isolate you as well from people because you get terrified of going to social events and going and hanging out with people because you're worried about calories, calories, calories. And I had a very, very severe form, I think, as well, of anxiety that I wasn't really aware of. And the more that I've looked into it and the more that I've studied uh, anorexia and bulimia, you realise that most people have anxiety and or depression as well. So they all feed into each other. Yes. So that's been something that I still struggle with and that I try to address. But are there uh, places where people should go, you know, in terms of professional help or websites that people should go to? 
Yeah, um, I mean, there's beet, which is a great start if you're worried. There's anorexia bulimia care. I think it's called ABC, which is another amazing charity yeah. based in Bristol, I think. Obviously, you know, re if you've got the resources, there are rehab places you can go to if you need to yeah. that, counsellors and things. Um, but trying to break that cycle of not wanting to punish yourself or damage yourself is very important. But you have to want to get better before you... You have to recognise there's a problem. Yeah, because yeah. I've seen it happen so many times where people go to rehab or they, you know, do all these things and they just don't don't get better because they're not ready. So you have to want to be get ready. Yeah. So your third chance a camera. Yes. Um... So I'm really excited about this, actually, because actually <laughs> I have, I already have a camera in our collection. So this camera, I've drawn it in yellow gold. It's a locket. So the back of the camera opens so that you could put, you could actually put a little tiny little photograph that we could print for you. Oh, that'd be um, so cute. And, and the lens on the front actually turns. Oh. Um, and you can see I put a little ruby where the flash would be, Aww. but it is entirely as perfect a miniature of a camera as I can possibly get it oh, to be. So cute, charm size. Yeah, charm size. <laughs> charm yeah. size. So I'm assuming that you've chosen a camera to represent your modelling yes. career. Um, so you've told us a bit about how how you got into modelling, and what I'm really interested to learn is a bit about behind the scenes of modelling. For those of us that, you know, have never been a model, never never even been on the cards, um, it'd, be, it'd be really good to understand about how you were treated. Yeah. And then, and then we'll come on and talk about what you did about it. Okay, sure. Um, so for those who think modelling is really glamorous and you just get, you know, tons of free things and everything's very exciting and you get treated like royalty, believe me, you do not. You are at the bottom of the food chain when it comes to shoots and when it comes to campaigns or whatever, unless you happen to become Kendall Jenner or Bella Hadid. And modelling now is very, very different to even how it was when I first started. It's just not the same industry anymore. It's certainly not the same industry as like the supermodel era. I mean, it changes all the time. Um, but again, I went into it, like I was saying before, where I thought that my life would become magically glamorous. And it really isn't like that. You know, you, you go to castings, sometimes five, six a day, travel around London, you know, you very rarely make money. You know, you do some jobs sometimes that are £250. Right. Um, I remember getting one campaign and that was like two and a half grand, which to me at the time was like, oh my God, two and a half grand, that's so much money. And then, of course, you know, it's really not when you um, have bills and things to pay and when that's the only job that you have all year yeah. um, or every yeah. few months or whatever. Um, and you're treated quite badly because... You know, what you have to remember is that you are a commodity. You're not a human being. You are there to sell something. So you grow a very, very thick skin because you go to castings with your model card and your photos that you've had in your portfolio. And people look at you as in, can you sell my product? That is all you're there for. You're not a personality. You're nothing. It took me a very long time to understand that because I'd look at people like Kate Moss or whatever and think, oh, my God, you know, how wonderful and amazing. And it really is not like that. Nowadays, you have social media and now you have to have a personality. But even when Instagram first started, I remember 
remember girls getting in trouble because they were posting too much about themselves. You know, you are there to look good. You're there to have a face, to be a face. You don't wear makeup. You don't wear heavy makeup. You wear all black to look as simple as, as possible. As neutral as possible. As neutral as possible, yeah. yeah. And that is who you are. And, um, and it was very difficult for me to kind of get my head around that because... I guess I, I have always been more than that. It just took me a long time to understand that I had more to offer, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and in terms of kind of how you're treated once, you, once you've secured the job and you go to the shoot, how are you typically treated when you, when you get to a shoot? Well, I guess it depends where you are in your career. You know, if you've started out, you um, are not treated always that well you know, especially sometimes with the bigger clients. Um, if you do e-com jobs, for example, which for me are hell and I refuse point blank to do them, you're there and you're modelling sometimes 70 outfits a day. I mean, I, I did, I counted once, I think I did 79 outfit changes a day. Oh. And, you know, that includes makeup changes, uh, you know, um, touching up of makeup. And people might think, oh, well, that's easy. Like, believe me, it's not because you don't, they don't give you time to eat lunch. You know, you have to wolf things down sometimes whilst you're still getting changed in a dressing gown or whatever. You eat, 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 try and eat when you can. Um, you get on set. It's just bang, 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 bang. It's just one thing after the other. You know, and that is if you even get fed, sometimes you'll turn up to a shoot and you're not fed at all. Is that still the case? Yeah, yeah. In this day and age, Yeah, I hear that all the that. time. So, you know, you have to learn quickly to bring a cereal bar with you or something and and eat when you can in the toilets. Um I mean, you are literally a commodity. I mean, I've got so many stories that I could just write a book on, honestly, where you do a shoot and the team will eat without you and then there's nothing left for you at the end. That um, is just extraordinary. You're just bizarre. Um, or, you know, people making comments about your the way you look all the time. Or Like, I remember being a size six by this point um, and people going, oh, it's really good we've got a curvy girl on the shoot, <gasps> you know. In my head, I was like, but I'm a size six. But at the same time, I thought, well, no, I must be fat then. If people think I'm curvy, I must still be fat. So, you know. I suspect there's a kind of, that people forget that you are a human being, that they're mm. talking about you, but not to you. Yeah. I mean, um, but that's the thing is that you're not a human being. Yeah. You have to view yourself as a business and you have to see yourself as just that. Gosh, I mean, it, it is such a different world. And, and I think it's so important to talk about it because I'm sure there's so many young girls young people who want to be become a model who have no concept of what it what the reality is yeah and also you don't realize how much debt you get into so these agencies you know from from the from the get-go you're kind of in debt because there's there's always a, a cost on your statement at the end of each month where they say um, courier costs so where they send your book out to people and there's no guarantee they're actually even doing that by the way and you get you know charged x amount a month you know whenever they print out your business cards they always cost you know 50 quid which comes off your fee comes off your fee not their no. large percentage so, so it's your take. yeah <laughs> so it's yours if they print out the pictures for your book that's another cost the, the actual book itself that's a cost um taxis that's i mean i made the really big mistake of staying in model apartments which were like a, at the time 100 euros a night but that's once that works out to two weeks, you could have probably stayed in an Airbnb for that time or or whatever. And these places are pretty much always disgusting where you're living, sharing a room with, you know, two other girls that you don't know. And um, the bathrooms are disgusting and, you know, there's no privacy. I remember being in Paris and there was um, 
I was staying in, in this one apartment where there were two showers, two or three showers in the bathroom. So you're expected to shower alongside these other girls that you don't know. Oh, my God. Yeah, and, I mean, God, I've just got so many stories, literally. I could, I could do a whole other podcast on well, this. But it was completely gripping because, I mean, you, you, I had no idea there was such a thing as yeah, model was, apartments. Oh, oh, no, they are, yeah. They, they, so that's how they also make money. Um uh, bunk, you know, bunk beds. You know, sharing bunk beds with with girls that you don't know, and that's not part, none of that's passed on to the client. No, I mean, even like you know, the model apartment. I mean, now you probably find this bizarre, but the model apartments where you're put in rooms with boys and share rooms with with boys and bunk beds, and these guys you, you don't know them, you know. Yeah. So there's a lot of cases of sexual assault that people cover up and things like that. I mean, it's a really dark world, and. Uh, there's an amazing initiative actually now in New York called the Model Alliance, and this was set up by a model who became a lawyer, and she now campaigns for safer regulations and you know even basic things like being paid on time. You know there are so many jobs that I haven't been paid for because the the clients go bust, or um, or they just decide not to pay you where you're waiting for like a year, two years to get paid for a job that you did. Like that's not normal behaviour. If you've done a job, you deserve to get paid. But these people know that they can. Yeah. take advantage of that but it also sounds like there's a real issue with the agencies yeah and this is the other thing the amount of agencies i've been signed to who say you know we work for you you know we work for you no you bloody don't i mean you know it's <laughs> if you read the small print and this is a mistake i will not make again based on past events if you read the small print you realize that you don't have any voice because rights, they maybe. yeah <laughs> and rights as well because they will literally say to you, we don't have to legally get you work, but you're expected to do this, that and the other. You also can't leave, but we can drop you at any time. So I remember like a lawyer looking at one of the contracts I signed. He was like, why did you sign this? But when you're tw- in your early 20s, you don't think about it. Cause you're, oh, it's fine. Don't worry. Well, you probably fine. never even considered getting a lawyer. To no, read because it, you just read it. Lovely. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. They, and, yeah. <laughs> and you're very excited to have the opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah it's messed up. So there was a moment in your life when absolutely everything changed, when you wrote this extraordinary piece on Facebook, when you kind of had had enough of mm. all of that. I think it would be fantastic if you could read it now. Oh, wow. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, so this is the letter that I wrote on Facebook and it was a status and I'd, I'd been dropped that afternoon by my agency and they called me up and they said, um, you know, we really appreciate how much you go to the gym and everything, but not everyone's designed to be a model. And then they said... I'm sure you get signed somewhere else, though, or something, like, really weird and hypocritical. Um, and I, I kind of had this realisation for the first time in years where I was like, you know, I'm a lot smaller than most people. I'm a lot taller than most people. And I also know that I don't deserve to get treated like this. And I, and I am one of these people that kind of tends to put up with a lot of shit. And I think this is the first time where I thought, hang on a second, like, I've given my absolute all to this and I've starved myself beyond belief. And then for you to turn around and say, you know, we appreciate how much you go to the gym. I think that was honestly like... <laughs> Where's the nail in the yeah, like I just saw red for the first time. Um, and this was the first time where I genuinely thought, I'm absolutely fucking done with modelling. I'm not doing this anymore. And so, how old were you? 23, I think. Okay. 23, okay. 24. Yeah. Um, okay, so I wrote, here's a big fuck you, in capitals, to my now ex-model agency for saying that a five foot eight inches tall in a uk size six to eight i'm too big and out of shape to work in the fashion industry 
I will no longer allow you to dictate to me what's wrong with my looks and what I need to change in order to be beautiful, like losing one fucking inch off my hips in the hope it might force you to find me work. I refuse to feel ashamed and upset on a daily basis for not meeting your ridiculous, unattainable beauty standards. The more you force us to lose weight and be small, the more designers have to make closer fit our sizes and the more young girls are being made ill. It's no longer an image I choose to represent. If an agency wishes to represent me for myself, my body and the woman I've become, give me a call. Until then, I'm off to Nando's. (laughs) 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 Oh, it's so funny. It's so Um, funny. There we go. Um, right, so that was the end of that. Oh, that was a so, whole that marked a kind of end of a era. Yeah, so I remember writing that and then thinking, haha, that's funny. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, I'm never gonna model again. I really don't care. And and I posted it and it must have been about six or seven o'clock at night. And my then boyfriend was out, and so I ran I ran a bath, went upstairs, and when I came back down, I was fuming. When I came back down, on Facebook I suddenly had all of these shares and like where people had shared it and it was like 100 200 300 and I thought oh god what's happened so I started getting texts off people being like you know some people some models were like you need to delete this you're never going to work again I was like no I'm not deleting it I I don't want to model again I don't I genuinely don't care anyway because it got shared so much a journalist from the biggest tabloid newspaper let's just say found it and they started emailing me saying we're going to write about this in the morning or whatever and I said I really would prefer you not to if that's okay and they said okay well either you give a give us a comment or you're not because we're going to post it either way so I just thought shit like this is it now anyway went on this website um and um we'll call it the daily fail and (laughs) (laughs) and um I wasn't aware that they basically could take your Instagram pictures and post them on there without your consent because they any any image that you put on Instagram becomes public domain so they put it on and I clicked on it and you know the first few comments were nice like oh you know she looks like this person oh you know good luck to her Nando's comments really funny or whatever and then they started becoming really nasty where it was like, well, she's ugly anyway, you know, well, you know, if you, um, you know, if you can't be a model, you know, then get a normal job like the rest of us or whatever. And and I just thought, oh God, and my, and my parents saw that. My mum was really, really, really upset by it. I've said this before, but it was almost like an out-of-body experience because then after that, it must have been a really slow, slow news day because then other newspapers picked it up. So it was on like the third page of the Times and then a like really massive photo that I had taken at a wedding that summer put on there. And it was on like apparently Pakistani news and it was in the sun and it was like the only time I was ever going to be on page three of the sun. <laughs> um it was, I mean, it was everywhere and I was in the kitchen and then my face was on BBC like politics show where they were talking about the modelling industry and how messed up it was. Then it was mentioned in the House of Commons because they were talking about, you know, um, the way that people were being treated and the way that women were being treated. So it was really quite scary and it was quite, yeah, it was frightening because I felt like, oh God, have I done something wrong? You know, like, am I have I really ruined now my whole chances of ever getting a job again? You know, what, what's my life going to be like? And I didn't have any qualifications. So that was really, it was really, really frightening. I mean, but what an extraordinary thing you did. I mean, it was, um, I mean, now I'm proud of back, myself. Oh my God, you must be so proud. Yeah, I'm proud of myself now. And I think it starts a debate just really about, you know, women's bodies in general, because I think everyone has felt the pressures to look like glamorous women or to look or to be thin I think most importantly to be thin and um I don't know 
I think if you ever feel you know bad about something you don't necessarily have to be famous in order to make a stand you can just be a regular you know because at the time I was you know I wasn't anyone you could just say something that you really believe strongly in and social media gives you that platform I mean it's an amazing thing you've done because because in terms of the confidence that you're able to give other people now having you know just just you reading that I just think that set you on a whole path hasn't it that we're going to talk about So having kind of put a stop on your modelling career, kind of, you know, by putting this piece out on Facebook, you then kind of had a big change. And so I'm assuming that this next charm, charm four, is to do with that change. So this is this is New York. Yeah. The Big Apple. It's very cute. The Big Apple. I've seen this in... um, absolutely miniature three-dimensional apple that's a locket so it opens in the middle it's um i thought it'd be nice to do it in rose gold because i always imagine the big apple we always see it in kind of rose gold in red and again i think just so lovely to put perhaps a pair of photographs in each side of the locket inside okay so tell me about why new york and why that's obviously been an important part of your life yeah, so um, I've been in London for a long time and I was in a relationship that I wasn't very happy in. So on top of that and the Facebook letter and the modelling and all these other issues, I then got approached by a model agent in New York. And I'd always been told that I was too big to make it in New York, as in body-wise, right. um, that I was never going to do it. I was too short, too big to ever go to New York. And suddenly I had this email from someone saying, look, I'm at this agency, would love to fly you over so I thought, God, do I really want to do... I mean, I've just written this letter. Would Will I look like a hypocrite if I go and do it? But also, do I want to pass up this opportunity? So they said, look, why don't you come for three weeks and see how you feel and we'll introduce you to a few new clients and see how you go. So I thought, okay, fine. So I flew over there and it was the first time really that I was away from, you know, in a massive city on my own, you know. Um, it's a bit different when you're in London because you're still in the same country as your family, but... I was very anxious and I was scared and I went over there and I had the best time and I just thought, oh my God, like, you know, the world is such a big place. Again, you know, when we talk about the chance of being free, it was the first time where I felt like a woman and I felt like, wow, like I'm earning my own money and um, I've been given this second chance. I was there for five years in the end. Oh, you were there five years? Yeah, five years. So it was a really big part of my life and... um, and I love the culture over there, and it was where I discovered plus size modelling as well. Right. So um, again, I'm not plus size. Yeah, not plus size at all. Um, but it, but I realised that there's a whole new market, and this market wasn't big there. Now it's, you know, there are loads of plus size models killing it now. So hold um, on, plus size models. What is what's constituted as plus size? Well, believe it or not, it's probably someone over a UK size twelve. So really not big right. at all. And actually, it's quite insulting. But I'm kind of in the middle of those two things. So I had an agent who said to me, look, you're not going to be big. You're never going to be thin. So why don't we just market you as who you are? There are a lot of clients at the time, this was like five, six years ago, that were looking for girls who were like like a size 10. Yeah. um who wanted who wanted that because that's what a lot of people are. You know, there was no one representing that. And for the first time in my life, I started making money. And um, I became part of this movement of bigger, bigger bodies and in inverted commas at just at the right time. 
Um, so I set up a charity whilst I was over there called the All Woman Project. Yeah. And that was about showcasing bodies of all different shapes and sizes. And that led on to further opportunities. And I started writing books, which led on to further opportunities. So, you know, I, I really think Americans are very big on, on people achieving their dreams. They don't get everything right, but they are very big on people saying, I've got a dream, and they, and they are very supportive of that. So it's a very yes mentality. Very yes it's mentality. Very yes, the UK yeah, isn't yeah. like that. We actually like to see people fail to a degree. But Americans are like, yeah, man, you go, you go, girl, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so th- that was a very conscious, uh, a conscious decision to kind of start, start a charity. Yeah. Yeah, so what we did is... Because, again, now you see girls of all different shapes, sizes in campaigns mm. or whatever. Back then, you didn't. It was either you have a, a straight size model, which is like the thin runway kind of types that you see, zero. size zero, or there's a plus size. And everyone's got something. You know, women's bodies are not these photoshopped, amazing yeah. things. And I also think there are tons of plus size girls who are stunning, who aren't, you know, um, ever going to be thin. And they also deserve to be shot in, like, a really editorial, cool way. We started working with brands like nike and american eagle and and people like that and creating these unretouched campaigns so that sounds like the perfect time to get onto your next charm so charm five is boobs (laughs) so i was (laughs) i love it though (laughs) so i was like really excited about this one and i thought there were so many ways we could have done it um but i think my favorite way to do it is to do the absolute perfect miniature bra both the cups are diamond pavé, so completely uh, all in diamonds. And the straps all move like they like, absolutely expect them to move. And the bra itself is, is is in white gold, so the diamonds will look gorgeous. I just love yeah. it. It's so cute. Barbie bra. Yeah, Barbie bra. I <laughs> Barbie love it. Bra. I love it. It's so cute. Um, but... Um, Talk to me about, about the bra and kind of what that really represents for you. Yeah, so the bra. So when I had eating disorders, I was really obsessed with thinness, thinness, thinness. And I guess I wanted to fade away. So I was very embarrassed about anything that made me womanly. You know, I I, I didn't want to have boobs. Um, I take over my dad's side of the family and those women have got big boobs. So I was very embarrassed about that. And I just wanted to hide away. So I'd wear bras that really, you know, pin my boobs down and and where I just wouldn't look feminine. Um, And then after discovering this body positive, you know, curvy movement in New York, I really started to fall in love with with female bodies. I guess a bit like (laughs) a bit um, obsessed with them. You know, I love Helmut Newton. I love vintage um, playboys. I love all these different things where you see women's bodies. And I'm a big believer in that women should feel free to to show show them off if they want to. I think that's an act of feminism. I know some people disagree, but I, I, I really think that it's amazing to own what you have and to be really excited about that. Yes, and now I love wearing clothes that show my body off after spending years and years of trying to hide it away. And I'm obsessed with lingerie. And it's re- and I always find it very funny because I used to be mortified, like beyond mortified. I'd have sweat dripping down my head. I'm not even exaggerating where... Um, if an agency asked me to come in and do lingerie polaroids I would physically dread it because I was like oh my god my body's not perfect um I didn't wear a bikini until I was 24 25 on a beach wow, wow. yeah or swimwear yeah I, was, I hated my body so much it's just mad and isn't it? Um, size 10. now of course you've got my Instagram naked all the time <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's why I wanted a bra charm or a boob charm because I wanted something that shows that shows that off but I know you talk about um, body neutrality. Yeah. So can you just talk me through 
what you mean by that as opposed to body positivity? Yeah, body positivity is something that I discovered on Instagram um, when I first moved to New York. And it's basically a movement set up by women who aren't, who don't have that conventional model-esque body, I guess, that this, that society expects you to have. They all expect you to be very thin and toned yes. and mothers to lose weight and everything. And, you know, these girls are posting videos of their cellulite and of their stretch marks and their tummy rolls and really celebrating it. And I was like, oh my God, you know, what is this? So I started doing that as well. Um, and I got a ton of abuse really from from girls that were bigger than me because they'd say well you know what what have you ever had to worry about you know your body is technically perfect when I kind of thought well if you knew the struggles I'd had about it and the comments I've had from men or agencies or or family members or, or whoever it is you know you you might understand how I feel but whatever so body neutrality is a bit different to body positivity because it says that rather than focusing on on your body, which is what body positivity still does, it still very much makes your body the main focus. It says that, you know, your body is a body, but actually you're more than that. So you can focus on, you know, the, the way you think. So even though I obviously post pictures of my body a lot and my body is something I'm very proud of now, and I like to view it as a machine really, and how strong and everything it is after abusing it for years, really. Um, I I like to try to focus on body neutrality now and seeing it more as just something that is part of me, but it's not who I am. And so body neutrality is a kind of a way of really promoting confidence. Is that right? Yeah. Would you say that? Um, yes, I guess so. I, I mean, I guess both of them are. Both of them are for the are for women who are kind of tired of being told that they look they should be a certain way. So, what were the kind of highs in your career? And I. We're going to come on and talk about some of the more recent things, but from a modelling perspective, were there any kind of moments where it was like so proud of those? Yeah, I have so many. There was one where I did a shoot um, for American Eagle, and it was on in Times Square. That was really amazing. Um, I think one of the best ones is when I used to work with Pat McGrath quite a lot. I still do, but I I work with Pat a lot in at her um, studio in New York, and she's for those who don't know, she's like the biggest makeup artist and she gave me my first shoot in Vogue British Vogue when Edward Ennenfall first started and that was really amazing because I was like oh my god Vogue you know it's just incredible and he's transformed obviously the way Vogue is now so that was probably my favorite one um I did the Agent Provocateur campaign as like their first really curvy model yeah um and showcasing roles and stuff like that so that was another one um there's just been so many, but it obviously took an, being myself in order to get those jobs. Yes, I didn't get them when yeah. I was trying to be someone else. Such it's very a life lesson that. For, such Massively. a life lesson that. I kind of wonder what you'd say to your younger self. Not that you're old. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, <laughs> but your younger self now, what would you say? I guess, I guess one of the most important things, and this isn't really to do with modelling, but I would say it's very, very, very important that you, especially as a woman, that you have your own money and that you don't rely on anyone and that you have other skills to offer because the amount of people especially models that I've seen who get dropped never work again who age (laughs) who put on weight 
I've seen so many girls go from being the top models to then having to get, you know, very average jobs because they haven't got skills. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very important. It doesn't matter what you do, that you have other skills on the side. I cannot stress that enough. And my dad used to say, my mum and dad used to say that to me, you know, you need to go to university. I thought, whatever, you know, what do they know? But now it is one of my regrets not having done that properly. You did have a good go at that. You went to London Fashion School. I went to London College of Fashion. London <laughs> College of Fashion. Yeah, but I wasn't very good. Yeah. Yeah, University of the Arts. Well, you say you weren't very good. No, well, I, they, they were like, yeah, you know, probably don't come back. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, great. One more thing. So that sounds like the perfect time to get onto your next charm, which is a book. Books, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It has to be a locket because a, a book has to open, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, and so, again, um, it's very much polished yellow gold. Um, you'll see I've engraved Splash on the front because I yeah. think that's the first, uh, your first book. Yep, my first one, um, yeah. And it's got a little row of diamonds all the way around the edge of the, of the front cover. So you've written two books now. Yes, yeah. I mean, where did that come from? (laughs) (laughs) So again, you know, being an author is again is one of those pie in the sky ideas for most, you know, for most people. So the fact that I've had two books is like amazing, honestly. Um, And um, when I was when I first moved to New York, I again, like I was saying earlier, you don't always work as a model. There are weeks sometimes where you don't have a single casting or you don't have a single job. So you've got to fill up your time elsewhere so I started writing and I wrote this children's book and it was really a way of me passing the time honestly so Splash is a book about body image um, and it's about a girl called Molly who is a lot bigger than a lot of her than a lot of her friends she has some personal issues at home as well but she's a lot bigger than her friends and so it's a um, but she loves swimming and she's at that really weird age where a lot of her friends say it's really embarrassing and uncool to be a swimmer she should be more focused on boys and socialising oh, right, and thing, okay. going to secondary school and things like that. So um, that's what that's about. And I was really proud of that. So that was with a smaller children's publisher, but that's been translated in Korean, <laughs> Polish, Spanish, Italian. So loads of different languages. And it's really cool seeing it in the different, like, yes, it's really weird. So, and what, what um, age group is that aimed at? Probably about, uh, I guess, 7 to 11. So, yes, there was that one. Then I got approached by Penguin because they were looking for a book about eating disorders and there wasn't one. And, of course, you know, most eating disorders develop when you're a teenager. So I started design, like coming up with an idea of a, um, a book about eating disorders and why they develop and a bit kind of autobiographical. And, and then it became kind of a bit of my, a bit of my life story up until that point. Yeah. Um, and that's called, what's that? That's called? called Misfit. So that's two books down. Uh, yeah. Any more in the in the pipeline? Um, yeah, I'd love to write more. I'd love to write more. It's just a case of trying to find the time. Really, I was going to say, I, yeah. mean, I mean, <laughs> your last charm, um, I suspect, is why you haven't necessarily had time to write another book yet. Yeah. Um, so this is the Squish Cherry logo. That's just going to be the most divine charm. So we're going to make those cherries in red agate carved perfect cherry shape um juicy juicy yeah, yeah juicy and really tactile and kind of gorgeous it'll, oh. look, it'll look really gorgeous oh i just i love them all i want them all so, so squish okay so t- tell us about squish yeah so squish i set up in late 2019 so just before covid and um 
I'd always wanted to own have my own skincare line. Okay. And can we just go, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? I just I, I've had problems with acne in the past and I've always been very self conscious about my skin. Um and I didn't want other girls to feel that way. And um I felt like a lot of skincare lines were very, they all look very clinical. They all look very samey, samey. They're either like in white packaging or baby pink packaging. And I wanted to do something a bit different. So I set up Squish with my business partner and we invested in it ourselves. I I designed all the products, everything you see, I've completely designed from scratch. Um, We have these flower acne patches, which are really cute that you put on acne and it's really gross, but they pull out all the gunk. Right. From whiteheads. Right. But, you know, it was an idea of like, to, you could take a selfie in them or you could go to the shops with these patches on and you're not going to feel embarrassed. It's like, oh, so what? I've got a spot. spot. Yeah. yeah. And we have these cherry masks, which is what the Squish logo has and the charm obviously has, which you put underneath your eye and they're made from um, hyaluronic acid and lavender oil and aloe vera and they depuff your cheeks and your under eyes because I get very puffy cheeks, especially if I eat bread. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, was it slightly born by you couldn't find what you wanted or was it just... Yeah, I just thought I can do that better. So um, I was in New York and I saw, I came across acne patches and I thought these are a bit, like they, they could be a lot prettier. And I said, oh my God, imagine if they were flowers. That'd be so cute. Oh, imagine if they had a diamond in the middle. Oh my God, it'd be so cute. People would take loads of pictures. Have they got diamonds in the middle? Yeah, well, they've got like glass crystal, um, not plastic. They've got glass crystal diamond centers, which are cute. So when you move around, they're all sparkly and stuff. Oh, look. Going back, so you've got a business partner, and and was that someone you'd known for a long time? Or <laughs> it's how actually did you... my ex-boyfriend, oh. Ben. Um, but you know, we're still very good friends. Yeah, we um, yeah, we set it up together whilst we were still together. Yeah, didn't work out romantically, but we still, you know, we love doing the business together. And Squish is our child, really. Yeah, and you are you keeping. Are there more and more kind of product ideas you've got or do you want to keep it Um, very tight? There are. We focused last year very heavily on brand collaborations. We've done a collaboration with a CBD tampon company because obviously you get period pain. So you get the called Day. They're amazing. And um, you can buy this box where you get the acne patches and the cherries and the CBD tampons to help with period pains. That's incredibly clever because I'm just thinking, is there anybody else who's really dealing with all these kind of issues that that women of all ages have to have to kind of deal yeah, with. Yeah, I mean, I guess not. I guess not really. Exciting. So no wonder you haven't um, written another book. Yet. I know, but I will do. I, I will get around to it eventually. I've got ideas for them. It's just about getting them done. And sometimes you your brain them. is just all over the place. So you can't really. So actually, so you are juggling a lot. What do you think it is that kind of drives you? What's the thing that's kind of? I don't know. You? I mean, I love to work. I love, love, love to work. It's so much. I, I get so much enjoyment out of it. I know most people don't, but I, I genuinely do. And I'm one of these people where if I'm interested in something, I just want to give it a go. Um, I don't think you need millions of dollars to make these things happen. I also don't think you need to be super intelligent to make these things happen because I'm not. I do appreciate that the way I look probably helps me in some regards. Um, but I'm also an incredibly hard worker. And if anything, I know that that's one thing that I've got going for me so so I've still got loads of other ideas that I want to do I'd love to get into acting and try that perhaps um yeah there's just there's so many things I want to do but life like I said life is very short you're only on here you're only here once we've so. crammed quite a lot in so far yeah exactly I mean, I've 30. still got more to do I'm like yeah. ah yeah, I also no. have this really big fear of like running out of time oh no I I, I so understand that yeah I have this kind of mantra that you know might not be here tomorrow, so yeah, we've got to do it. Got to do it. Yeah. Well, so many congratulations on on 
everything you've oh, achieved. Thank it's absolutely you. fantastic. Thank you, you know, well. It's absolutely fantastic. And I think, um, well, you and I have talked about the Brilliant Breakfast. Yes, which um, I love. Yeah, yeah. So the Brilliant Breakfast um, is all about giving women confidence and all about what the Princess Trust do to help to help young women and kind of raise them up. And that's um, October the 10th this year, uh, the whole week of that. So, yeah, super important. But Charlie, um, so these seven charms, so when someone in 50 years or 100 years time finds your this this picture of all the charms that represent your life, yeah. Um, what do you want them to think about you? What, what's the kind of legacy that you'd like to, to be remembered for? I guess someone who made their dreams come true. That's such a lovely, <laughs> yeah, lovely thing. Well, I, think that, I think that's important. I think it's important to have dreams yeah. and not to settle for anything. Yeah, so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm going to make you one of these charms. I know, but God, so I don't know you. which. I don't know which one. This okay. is going to be the hardest thing. Okay. I genuinely don't. <laughs> oh... Um, I feel like you're going to have to choose for me. I think it's either between the book or the cherry. Yeah, you've got to choose. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll do the cherry then. But well, Before I came sure. here today, I thought, I know if she, if, and if she could sign a cherry, then that's what I'm going to go for. But now I've seen all of them, and now I'm like, oh, God, because they're all so perfect. I mean, I love, all, I love everything. Oh, well, I'm so glad. Well, anyway, let's start with the cherry. Okay, we'll start okay. with, yeah, wink, wink. Okay. Yeah, we'll go from there. Charlie, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, no, thank really you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to My Life in Seven Charms with me, Anushka Dukas. If you would like to see all of the charms and illustrations that I've made for my guests, please go to my website, anushka.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, I would be so grateful if you could rate and review and subscribe and also share with your friends. It would be such a help. Thank you so much to my producer, Robin at Fairly Media. See you soon.